The Sloss Sports Show on Anchor.fm, weekly episodes highlighting and breaking down the biggest stories across sports. Make sure to keep up with the latest episodes and breaking news on Twitter by following at Sloss Sports Show and keep up to date with the latest breaking news around the NFL. The official site of the show, knoble87.wixsite.com slash Sloss Sports Report. And now, here's your host, Cole Noble. Welcome to the Slaw Sports Show, and to kick off this week's episode, and to kick off every episode that we always do here on the Slaw Sports Show, everyone knows the deal. Uh, we start off with Slaw's main card pick'em of the week in the UFC, and this week we have a great one. We got a great fight, or a great fight night on tap for Saturday night, UFC 261. Let's take a minute and step back and just look at our overall record here for Slaw's main card, Pick'em of the Week. It's a fan favorite segment here on the show. That's how we always kick it off first. And last week, we had Whitaker take down Gastelum by decision, which was our pick of the week. So round of applause here already. We had a great showing there uh, last week by Whitaker. Robert Whitaker the Reaper got it done for us last Saturday night, and it was a big win. For him, uh, looking forward to being the number one contender in that class. And it brings our overall record up now to six and four in Slaw's main card pick'em of the week. So we're feeling good. Uh, we're back in the win column for two straight weeks now. Now we're in coasting mode, and we're doing great, and let's hope to keep things going. But again, I said we have a big one on tap this, excuse me, this Saturday and I wasn't lying. UFC 261. We're going to be picking three title fights today, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope you guys got the seatbelts buckled, are ready to get things going. We got a women's flyweight title fight, a women's strawweight title fight, and the main card, a welterweight title fight between Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. Second time these two fighters are going up against each other. It's going to be a great one. I'm I'm excited. Excited to get into this. And then for just, you know, glancing over for what we're going to talk about the rest of the episode, next week on Thursday is the NFL Draft. And, of course, on the Slaw Sports Show, we're going to have you covered live draft show for four hours, all four hours of the entire first round on Thursday. You'll find us here at the Slaw Sports Show on YouTube. I appreciate everyone joining here, listening live on YouTube, and, of course, everyone on WSOE 89.3 as well, listening on air. Um... But again, I appreciate all of you guys. And next Thursday, we'll be live for four hours starting uh, probably about 15 minutes before the draft starts. Officially begins. Uh, do a little bit of a pre-show. Go in. The entire first round will have you covered next Thursday. So I'm excited about that. And again, as always, on Friday, 10 to 11, we'll see you again uh, immediately after for the Saw Sports Show. So, um, of course, with that coming up next week, the bulk of the rest of today's episode, once we move on from UFC 261, is going to be in the NFL. We had a big trade go down today between the Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs we'll get into. And then we'll just look forward to what's been going on. Um, this week, a lot of general managers have been out, been talking, you know, been thumb wrestling um, against some couple prospects. So a little bit of rock, paper, scissors going on. We'll talk about it all. Uh, but all the pressers have been this week as well. The GMs coming out and talking um, talking about you know potentially who they're interested in, what the philosophy is going to look like for teams this year. Um, so a lot to talk about 
overall with draft stuff. And I think today will be a great preview going into next week. Uh, looking forward to Thursday. But, of course, let's get back to it. UFC 261 tomorrow night. Let's kick it off here with the women's flyweight title fight. And the reigning champion in the women's flyweight division is Valentina Shevchenko. And she's going to be going up against Jessica Adrange. So I'm excited. This is going to be a great fight because Valentina so far has looked unbeatable in their entire division. And the only one that's going to be the toughest challenge for her is going to be Adrange. And four successful title defenses for Valentina Shosinko. It's hard to see a person and a girl coming out and beating her in this fight. And just 20 minutes average length time and fight time. It's a girl who's in there in the octagon for at least four rounds. Usually takes it to the five. Um, so this one's going to be pretty much an easy one. But let's just keep you know wh- uh, wheeling this one out a little bit. And you look at the numbers um, when the two you know came out and did the weigh-ins. Shevchenko has four inches of height and four inches of reach against Adrange. So this one's going to be an interesting fight, um, in my opinion, because you look at the way these two fighters are going to be going up, going up against each other. Valentina's very crafty. She's very quick on her feet, likes to keep things out of close quarters, and she just overall is a great planner. Uh, she plans out her fights really well, prepares for it really well. Her camp does a great job preparing her for her fights, and I just think that she's ultimately got a great IQ going into this game, into this fight, excuse me, and that's why she is the title holder of the flyweight division. She does everything well. Uh, twenty three and or excuse me, twenty and three overall is her career record, and she's a smart, she's a smart fighter, and I, you know, it's you gotta admire what she does when she's in the octagon. But Adrange, twenty one and eight, and again, this is the toughest challenge that Shevchenko can face in this division for the title. And Adrange has the possibility to beating Shevchenko. And even though I said that she looks unbeatable right now, again, the only one that can do it is going to be Adrange. And we get the opportunity to see it tomorrow. But the only way she could have the possibility, near possibility of even taking her down in this fight is going to be with her kill shot she has. And getting up close, getting up and close and personal is her style of play. And she lands the stun shots. You saw it in her last fight. But the problem is against Shevchenko, you have to do that multiple times. How is she going to be able to get up and close for the entire fight and land multiple kill shots in order to eventually get her down on the ground? It's going to be very interesting to see how that one plays out. But again, she Adran just relies on the strength, relies on the close quarter fighting, and just that's how she is offensively. But because she's so aggressive with her strikes and tries to you know, continually go for those kill shots time after time, she's weak on defense. And to me, that's going to be the kicker. Is if she goes all out and you know, Shevchenko can start, um, start taking these uh, punches, these kill shots, and can wear them, she can easily come back and, uh, with a counterpunch. Because Shevchenko is probably the best uh, counterpuncher in the flyweight division, and if she can hold her own against these kill shots from Adrange and land those counter punches right back at her, this fight's not going to look good, not going to look pretty. So Adrange has to make sure she manages her defense and doesn't go too out there with her kill shots in this fight. So when I look at this pick, and this is going to be my first pick of the three we're doing today, it's hard to really 
understand how Adrange has a chance in this fight. Again, Shevchenko just looks unbeatable. Uh, so when I when my pick for this fight, I'm going to take Shevchenko by knockout or by decision as my first pick of the week. Knockout or decision for Valentina Shevchenko. Holding on five successful title defenses is my pick for tomorrow night. Again, just Adrange, in my opinion, will not stand a chance and may not even finish the fight. Um, so that's why we're going to throw in the knockout or decision in this one as my pick of the week for the women's flyweight title fight. Moving on, next up, we got the women's strawweight title fight. This one's Wei Li Zhang against Rose Navajunas. And Navajunas is a great fighter as well. Um, but of course, Wei Li Zhang is the current title holder. Navajunas has held the title before, but as of right now, it is back with Wei Li Zhang. And 21-1 career record for Wei Li Zhang. And two title defenses for her instead of four, like we talked about with Shevchenko. Uh, but the last time, won by a split. Or excuse me, uh, yeah. First title defense, won by split decision. Hasn't lost a fight since, 200, or excuse me, since 2013. That alone is impressive enough how long she's been consistently going um, in her career. Not being able to get knocked out. Not being able to even lose. Uh, but just using that, you know, Mai Tai style, that back foot stance, constantly throws in that right roundhouse attempt over and over again. Wei Li Zhang is a great fighter um, for people getting into women's wrestling to watch just because of that Mai Tai style of, of fighting. You know, I love the back foot stance, playing back, going in, you know, very kickbox heavy. And especially with that right roundhouse, when that right roundhouse hits, that's just electric enough whenever you get to see that happen. You don't see it very often. Uh, but Wiley Zong definitely implements that into her game. And she also implements a lot of grappling, ground control. And in my opinion, that's going to be the X factor in the, in the fight tomorrow night for Wiley Zong is that ground control, grappling, making sure she gets Rose on the ground and ultimately wins that fight through ground control um, is kind of what I'm hoping to see out of Wiley Zong. But for Rose, on the other hand, great power. She's long for her weight, especially the power for her weight that she plays at, the power that she possesses uh, when she fights. She has to make sure that she's not uh, not uncomfortable, in my opinion. It's going to be her big thing. You look back at her last fight, uh, she wasn't confident on her feet. Uh, she went in with a lot of leg kicks, missed. Always leads to her getting taken down. And it, she has to make sure that that doesn't happen um, this time around against Wei Zong. And again, that X factor is going to be the grappling and is going to be the ground control and this fight for the women's strawweight title fight tomorrow night. So she has to make sure she stays on her feet. If uh, if Rose Namajunas can stay on her feet, she can score, start getting some shots in there, manage her distance away from Wei Li Zhang, that's the chance she has in this fight. And for a fighter who's won four of her last five fights, she shows some great striking in those ones. So I'm not worried about her getting the points, uh, per se, in the stand-up. What I'm worried about is her getting taken down. And again, that's the X factor. If Wiley Zong can get her down, get the, take, get the takedowns and start getting points there, that's ultimately where it's going to come through. And, you know, this is it's a close pick em, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I think this fight's the closest fight that we're going to see tomorrow night on the main card is going to be this one between Wiley Zong and Rose Namajunas because ultimately this, it's going to come down to if she can get... If Wiley Zong can get Rose down, that's what's going to determine this fight. But if she can't do that, it's it's a toss-up, um, in my opinion, between both of these fighters. 
So I think this is good. So looking at my pick, excuse me, Sauce Pick'em of the week. Uh, the second one here for this fight. Through the first three rounds, I think it's going to be very close. Um, when you look at the judges' decisions for the first three rounds, I believe this fight will be close all three rounds to start out this fight. But, th but then if it goes into the four, goes into the fifth round, that's when Rose is going to start wearing down. And in my opinion, we're going to be taking Riley Zong by decision. So that's Saw's main card pick of the week for this second fight is Riley Zong by decision, again, holding on to her title and getting another title defense under her under her belt is going to be my second main card pick of the week. And now we get to the actual main event of the main card, and that is going to be the men's welterweight title fight. And this one, in my opinion, of course, is going to be the highlight of the entire weekend. Kamaru Usman against Jorge Masvidal 2. We all know Kamaru Usman is the reigning title holder right now in the welterweight class. And the two fought um, back in last July in UFC 251, and what a great fight that was. Kamaru Usman ended up taking it, uh, taking it home by decision, a unanimous one um, by that. And I'm excited. I've been waiting for this rematch since the first fight. The first fight was so good. And for both fighters to have to prepare in six days to face each other the first time around. I wanted this rematch more than any other. Have both fighters get the chance to fully prepare for this fight. Have a full camp to go into it. Instead of just six days. Here it is tomorrow night. Kamaru the Nigerian Nightmare Usman. Against Jorge Masvidal. So let's go break into this fight. And just talk about what we saw last time. What we're expected to see this time around between these two fighters. So Kamaru Usman and his career 18 and 1 only lost one time in his career. And after the last fight, Usman came out and said that he wants to break him. He wants to break Jorge Masvidal and he is not satisfied with the unanimous decision win that he had last time around. And I'm with I'm with him. I'm with Kamaru Usman. I think mentally he's there. I think no one compares to him in this division and the only person that can doesn't even fight anymore and that's George St. Pierre in this division that's the comparisons now that Kamaru Usman and the legacy he's creating inside of this division just his mid-fight adjustments they're just unparalleled unparallel. what he can do and what he learns from his opponent during the fight and brings it into the next round into the next round into the next round we don't see that from any other fighter uh, the way that Kamaru Usman does it. Um, and, of course, talk about going round after round after round. That's Kamaru Usman's playing style. Uh, that's his fighting style. He's gone the distance in five of his last seven fights. And, you know, that's what happened last time against Jorge Masvidal with the unanimous decision. But now he's looking for his fourth straight title defense and 14 straight wins tomorrow night against uh, Jorge Masvidal. So that's all we have for Usman. What about Masvidal on the other side? What does he need to do in this fight? Because Kamaru Usman, he's going to come in and play his game and fight his fight like always. And, of course, we know where his head at, where his head is at wanting to break Jorge Masvidal. But for Masvidal, he needs to learn from his mistakes the last time he fought against Kamaru Usman. And what really... You know, hurt him last time 
back in July was the fact that Kamaru Usman was just able to completely smother him against the fence, get him down, and just wail on him. And then, of course, Jorge Masvidal is great at getting back up and great at his takedown defense, especially on the fence, getting back up whenever he's you know backed against the fence. So, in my opinion, he's got to he's got to learn to keep his distance, get away from Usman. If he starts kicking, Usman's just going to take him down again, just like we saw last time. And of course, that's you know, that's Jorge Masvidal's game is uh, being able to kick and using his legs in this fight. But that's what hurt him last time he faced off against Kamaru Usman. So, in my opinion, this time around, Masvidal's got to learn to get off the fence. He can't get backed up against Kamaru Usman. He's, uh, Masvidal's got to learn to get off the fence, create space, and then attack whenever he has that space created in front of him. And if Masvidal can do that, if he can you know, step back and get, be able to get a read against Kamaru Usman and figure out what he's doing, start landing some punches, start landing some strikes and getting some points, he has a shot to beat him. He has a shot to beat Kamaru Usman tomorrow night, but only if he can do that, only if he gets that separation. On the other hand, if Usman starts getting you know, inside, starts smothering him like he did last time, this one's just going to be over quick. And if not, wear out all the way till the end like it did last time. Um, but again, the kicker of this fight, and this is what people need to understand, is the last time these two, uh, last time these two fighters excuse me, faced off, Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal, they had six days to prepare for that fight the first time around and went to a unanimous decision. This time around, they've had a full camp to prepare for each other, and they've been waiting for each other. They've seen each other once. They've got the film to go back, back and look at and check out. And again, I, I, when I pick this fight, I, again, I go back to the fact that mentally no one compares in the welterweight division to Kamaru Usman. And if you give Usman the time to prepare, the time to study the weaknesses of Jorge Masvidal, he has a shot, and he has the advantage in this fight, in my opinion, if he has the time to do that. And frankly, just because he didn't have that last time uh, going up against Jorge Masvidal. So for my pick of the week, this is going to be the final Slaw's main card pick of the week for UFC 261. I'm going to take a Kamaru Usman knockout early in this fight. It's his fight to win, and I think he's going to do it again. Um, I think he's had time to study Jorge Masvidal. He's had time to learn what happened last time, and he's had time to figure out how to get this done and how to get it done fast. It's not going to go to the decision this time around. Kamaru Usman's going into this fight to break him, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen tomorrow night. So Slaw's main card pick him of the week. Kamaru Usman knocks out Jorge Masvidal early in the main card fight. So let's look back here at my three picks of the week. Again, a 6-4 and four record overall in Saw's main card pickums of the week. The women's flyweight title fight, we are picking Shevchenko by knockout or decision. Uh, a toss-up, I'm just going with both. Knockout or decision against Jessica Andre, or Andraj. Excuse me. And the second fight, women's strawweight title fight, I'm going with uh, Willie Zhang by the decision against Rose Namajunas. And then for the final one, men's welterweight title fight again, Kamaru Usman. Knockout early in this one. And that is going to be the three 
Slaw's main card pickums of the week for tomorrow night, UFC 261. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's all draft talk here in the NFL. A uh, lot to talk about, and of course, the big trade that went down today. So stick with us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, about four or five minutes, and we'll come back here on the Slaw Sports Show. And welcome back to the Slaw Sports Show. Again, I am your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw. So we began today's episode starting off uh, the first 25 minutes or so with Slaw's main card pickums of the week for UFC 261. And now we're detouring, uh, switching the um, tape here and going over to the National Football League where we will finish out the rest of today's episode um, so, big trade in the NFL today. Massive, massive trade. Orlando Brown, the offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, has been traded to the Kansas City Chiefs in exchange for a 2021 first-round pick, which, again, is on Thursday. The 31st overall pick now belongs to the Baltimore Ravens, along with a 2021 third, a 2021 fourth, and a 2022 fifth round pick next year. And Baltimore also sent um, their 2021 second round pick, which will be on Friday, the 58th overall selection, and a 2022 sixth round pick as well. So big deal um, in the NFL. And Orlando Brown, um, obviously a guy who switched to tackle, was you know not getting paid tackle money, was still getting paid like an offensive guard, wanted the big tackle money from the Baltimore Ravens, and the Ravens weren't giving it to him. Um, the guy who's coming in, you know, looking at a new contract here coming up, and the offensive tackle is a premium, premium position to go after in the NFL and one that is paid accordingly. I mean, you look at ter- uh, you look at uh, excuse me, what Williams got for the San Francisco 49ers made him one of the highest paid players in the NFL. David Bakhtiari with his with the Green Bay Packers used to be the highest contract for an offensive tackle uh, before Williams got his deal. So now what we see here for Orlando Brown, ben, you know, he's looking for a contract from the Baltimore Ravens that didn't look like he was going to get it. Requested a trade and you know, it's been quiet. Um, you know, it surprised me when it came out today that he officially has been traded because the market's been so quiet. Everyone's been raving about how great the offensive tackle class is this year um, in the draft. But Orlando Brown has been traded. Now they got a deal accomplished with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs now bring in an offensive tackle after uh, cutting Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. They now got another offensive tackle in place to help protect Patrick Mahomes and keep that offense rolling. Uh, so for the Chiefs, it was a great pickup, a uh, great you know, addition to their offensive, excuse me, offensive line, getting in a Pro Bowl tackle for Patrick Mahomes. And I the only thing when I think about this, you know, this trade for the Kansas City Chiefs is the fact that maybe their thought process with the fact that sitting at number 31, the 31st overall pick on Thursday, maybe they felt they were out of range uh, for some of the top guys. You know, of course, guys like Penny Sewell and Rashawn, uh, Rashawn Slater, they're going to be gone in the top 10, no question about it. Uh, Christian Darisol is a guy who's going to get drafted in the top 15. Tevin Jenkins, potentially even top 15, top 20. And 
you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, a guy who lines up as guard, but also has talent or, um, talent at tackle and has had experience at tackle as well. He's going to be gone uh, well before the top 20s, I believe, as well. So the Chiefs setting at 31, they must have, you know, felt like they were in a spot where they couldn't just acquire the offensive tackle that they were looking for for their offense. And my mock drafts, I had them getting Samuel Cosme out of Texas. I thought he would have been a worthwhile offensive tackle for them to pick up at 31. Um, but the Chiefs say otherwise and would rather, of course, have an off, you know, an, um, excuse me, a pro bowler in Orlando Brown and bringing him in from the Baltimore Ravens. So they're adding some pieces they do need uh, to that offensive line. And obviously that's been the huge focal point of the Chiefs so far this offseason. They brought in Kyle Long back from retirement, brought in Joe Thune, who was one of the highest coveted offensive linemen uh, this year in the free agency, and now bring in Orlando Brown off the trade market as well. So I guess the Chiefs did watch the Super Bowl. Uh, they saw what happened. They saw their weakness in that game, and that was their offensive line surrounding Patrick Mahomes. And, of course, what do they do? They've gone out and fixed it this offseason. And if, that's why Patrick Mahomes will have continued success in the National Football League. And as a Packers fan, that's something I wish the Green Bay Packers would do. You know, look at the, your last game of the season. Look, you know, what was your weakness? Maybe we should address that in the offseason, in the draft. Uh, but we all know what the Packers do. Uh, obviously, they're not playing uh, long ball, long term with Aaron Rodgers, you know, trying to maximize that window with their roster. Uh, but let's get away from that rant before we go too far into that rabbit hole. Uh, but the Chiefs continue to fill their weaknesses getting in Orlando Brown. And the unfortunate part for the Kansas City Chiefs in this deal is the fact that they are now going to have to pay Orlando Brown that big money deal that he wants as an offensive tackle. And it's going to be top offensive tackle money we're talking here, maybe upwards to the $100 million range for Orlando Brown on his new deal he will now have to sign with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, but the Chiefs, if they feel like it's worth, um, you know, if they didn't feel like it's worth it already trading the first their first round pick for Orlando Brown, I feel like it's going to be pretty evident um, that this is their guy. They went out before the draft and they got him, and of course, I think that they will be more than willing um, here to pay him his first round or actually his top money um, that he wants. So let's look at the flip side of this trade and the other team um, trading away Orlando Brown, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Ravens got off Orlando Brown. That was all expected. We figured it would happen at some point uh, during the offseason. And it's going to be you know, a key hit to their offensive line, but one that's already been pretty steady um, as a whole in general. And they're already filling that hole on their offensive line and. When I look at the GMs in the National Football League, there are two that are by far, well, maybe even, we'll throw a third in there, three general managers that are by far and away my favorites in the NFL. Number one is Chris Greer with the Miami Dolphins, just the complete rebuild he did with that team, putting it up, putting them up to a 10-win season last year with a rookie quarterback going into his second season this year, and they're building around continued success around Tua Tagovailoa which was great moves. They made great moves, you know, moving from three to 12, back up to six already this year. I'm expecting them to even move around even more in the first round on Thursday with the Miami Dolphins. My number two favorite general manager is Chris Ballard for the Indianapolis Colts, and we'll get into him more later in today's episode. And number three is Eric DaCosta. 
with the Baltimore Ravens because he knows how to maximize draft capital. Plain, simply forward, this guy knows how to handle his picks, and this guy knows how to handle trades. And he did, he pulled off a great one, in my opinion, again, uh, with Orlando Brown, dealing him away, getting a first-round pick, a second, or excuse me, a first-round pick at um, the 31st overall, getting a third-round pick this year, a fourth-round pick this year, and also a fifth-round pick next year is a, quite a handsome haul to get back from Orlando Brown. Granted, you are giving up your second-round pick, but replacing that now with two first here, and you can even do what you want with those two at 27 and 31 um, in the first round. You can move up with both those picks to get up into the top 15, possibly even you know top 12, top 10, if you want to deal those two picks and move way up, uh, which would be a bold move by Eric DaCosta. But also, you can trade, you know, maybe trade back from 31, get your seconds back, and you know build up even more third-round picks and mid-round picks, something also that DaCosta now has in his think tank to look forward to to the draft. Uh, but the big thing, I think, for the Baltimore Ravens is what they announced immediately after the trade is that they will be signing Alejandro Villanueva, the former offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, after the draft. So Eric DaCosta now, he knows in his back pocket he has the need filled at offensive tackle that has just been created with the trade of Orlando Brown. He's going to fill it immediately after the draft with Alejandro Villanueva and now has two first-round picks again, 27 and 31 in the first round on Thursday to work with. And Baltimore's in great shape uh, right now. And I went back and forth with my mock drafts. My mock draft 1.0, I had them going wide receiver Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Says that I said, you know, from the beginning that Baltimore needs to look at getting a wide receiver who can be their number one target for Lamar Jackson because it's not Marquise Brown. Now, granted, Marquise Brown, I still think, has potential to be a great receiver and a solid receiver for the Baltimore Ravens, but he is not a number one guy. It's not his style. It's not how he is. He hasn't done it thus far. He's not your number one guy. Sammy Watkins, who you brought in a free agency, not your number one guy either. They still need that number one guy for the Baltimore Ravens, and they have to get it in the first round. And my first mock draft, I said it would be Rashad Bateman. Um, you know, as of right now, Rashad Bateman's stock's grown a little bit, you know, beyond 27. So there could be a shot he falls to him there at 27. Uh, but if not, I think at 27 or 31, Baltimore easily could go with Terrace Marshall from LSU and get their bulk big guy. And, you know, Terrace Marshall, while he's a big guy, still ran just as fast of a 40-yard dash as Jamar Chase. And he's, what, two or three inches taller than him. This guy is set to be a number one wide receiver uh, for an offense that already has their speed guy on deck. And, you know, like they do, they got their possession guy in Sammy Watkins, speed guy in Marquise Brown. I think Terrence Marshall at 27 or, again, 31 would be a great pickup and a great draft by the Baltimore Ravens. And the other, um, you know, hole and need I saw with the Baltimore Ravens, and I, you know, thought about this one with my second 2.0 mock draft, is edge rusher for the Baltimore Ravens. And they, you know, lost Matt Judon in free agency at outside linebacker. And then on the D-line, they also lost Yannick Ngakwe. He left and signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. So in my second mock draft, I believe I had Jason Owe out of Penn State going to him. Um, but again, whoever's available 
uh, at 27 or 31. I, let's you know, keep it hypothetical here. Say 31, you go with Terrace Marshall there out of LSU at wide receiver. Um, he makes it past the Saints, uh, makes it past you know Chicago, and say Bateman goes early in the draft. So now Terrace Marshall falls to him at 31. Huge pickup, A plus right there. Um, or let's we'll say A minus right there. Pick if they get Terrace Marshall at 31, but 27 I think is a value pick here for the Baltimore Ravens where they address their edge. Um, of their pass rush in this one. You got guys like Jalen Phillips that could be there. Gregory Russo could fall. Jason Owe, like I had in my mock draft, he could be even uh, possibly there would be a great value pick at 27. And even guys like Joseph Osai uh, could also be there at 27. So Baltimore now with two first-round picks can address their two huge glaring needs they, they have on their roster early on just in day one of this draft if they elect to pick with both of those selections. So Baltimore and Eric DaCosta, I have high hopes for. Uh, they always find great value every single year. Last year, look what they did. First round, they got um, Patrick Queen at linebacker. Was a huge part of their success on their defense and you know started coming on his own toward the you know, second half of the season. And then on offense, second round, they went in and got J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. And we all know the great year he had with the Baltimore Ravens in that rushing offense last year. So now this year with two first-round picks, I think Baltimore will hit it again and get two stud players, uh, whatever it may be. Right now, I'm leaning towards Jason Oway at 27 and Terrence Marshall at 31 would be prime and perfect selections for the Baltimore Ravens. And Kansas City, I think they can get by here and squeak by without having a first-round pick and will likely be all right. Um, going forward, pick up two seconds. Um, their second, and of course, Baltimore's second coming over with this trade. Kansas City always finds value in the later rounds, anyways. And just, I don't think they don't have the massive holes. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. What holes do they really have now that they got Orlando Brown that they need to fill with immediate talent in the first round? They're going to find some quality positional players and quality depth pieces in the draft and be set um, going forward in the NFL draft as it progresses. Uh, so let's continue on here. Just continue with the draft talk. Um, so right now, all the birds and the bees and the smoke and the tree and the, excuse me, the birds and the bees, the smoke and the tea leaves, what they're all saying right now is that it's seeming more and more likely that we might potentially see the Los Angeles Chargers and even the Arizona Cardinals potentially being willing to trading up into the first round on, th or excuse me, into the top 10 on Thursday. Not just the first round, but the top 10 selections. Um, the LA Chargers leaning heavily at offensive tackle, looking like they're going to trade up for potentially Panay Sewell out of uh, Oregon, or even Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. And Arizona, the Cardinals, what the smoke and the tea leaves could be either one. Uh, but what the rumblings coming out of Arizona are saying is that they could trade up into the top 10 and potentially land one of the top wideouts in this year's draft class. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, two teams potentially could trade up into the top 10 and get value picks there um, in a trade on Thursday. And could happen before, could happen you know, during the selection and during the pick on Thursday. And some other things I want to talk about. Chris Ballard, uh, like I said, my third um, you know, top-tier GM, in my opinion, with the Indianapolis Colts. He came out and had a great quote today at his presser 
when talking about the NFL draft, and he said it's not exact science. Um, you need a little luck in the NFL draft, and the more picks you have, the more chances of hitting and getting that luck in the draft. And Chris Bauer's a guy who the draft's his thing as well. Um, he loves picks. He loves you know building the, ar- the arsenal and the ammo in the draft. And right now, it's not sitting pretty with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they made a couple trades here and there, and just their draft pick range, not getting any comp picks as well. Um, trading picks, of course, uh, for Carson Wentz at quarterback. So the Indianapolis Colts currently sitting at the 21st overall pick, in my opinion, are looking like strong trade-down team right now in the first round at 21. I think they'll put something together to move down the board, select, you know, get it you know, handsome value in return in terms of draft capital in order to continue building that roster that they're creating in Indianapolis. But the real thing I want to talk about, and it continues on with the pressers this week and the GMs and the coaches coming out and talking to the media, but the NFC East, the NFC Beast, I feel like has been an underrepresented, you know, division as a whole in draft talk so far, you know, the last couple of weeks. And I want to hit on just my expectations of what I'm expected to see from this division, from these four teams, um, as we look towards the draft. So let's start off with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Philadelphia Eagles currently now sitting at number 12, thanks to the trade with the Miami Dolphins, moved from 6 down to 12. And Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, coming over from the Indianapolis Colts, who we just talked about. But head coach Nick Sirianni, during his presser, said he's playing rock, paper, scissors with his draft prospects in order to gouge and gauge their competitiveness. And this is one that I found interesting when I was listening to all of the pressers. I heard this one, and Nick Sirianni already during his first presser didn't impress me enough, but coming out here and saying that is interesting. And I can see where he's coming from. I mean, is he... and. You know, I heard this on the Pat McAfee show first, uh, but Nick Sirianni gauging competitiveness with the prospects and you know simple games like rock paper scissors could be a smart. I mean, you know, you, like Pat McAfee said, if you're beating a guy, all of a sudden the guy gets mad, and starts cussing you out. You want to draft that guy. You want that guy on your team. You like that love of competitiveness, a guy that's not going to lose. Uh, so I just think it's interesting. I think it's fun. Um, these little quirky games that coaches and uh, war rooms are playing with prospects to you know, weigh prospects, see how they like them, uh, see if they're going to be a good fit or not. Um, this is a great motto, great thing to go for, and just all in all, a great decision by Nick Sirianni. I think, why not? Why not play a little rock, paper, scissors with some first-round prospects and see how you like the guy? Uh, what better way to learn more about a person than start gauging their competitiveness and rile them up um, during a game like rock, paper, scissors? But the big headline from Nick Sirianni's presser is the fact that he did not, and we'll pull it up right here, he did not name Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, even after the Carson Wentz trade is over. And yes, they brought in Joe Flacco, who we all know is an elite quarterback, elite Joe Flacco, (laughs) Uh, brought him in as the backup. I mean, is Nick Sirianni saying it's going to be an open competition here thanks to Bleacher Report? Um, I mean, just the tweet says, Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni doesn't name Jalen Hurts as starting quarterback 
and says it will be an open conversation, an open competition at the quarterback position. I'm like, well, is Jalen Hurts going to battle it out during training camp against Joe Flacco? I mean, yeah, get your popcorn ready. See what we're going to see out of Joe Flacco in training camp. No, I think this is foolish. Um, I don't know what the Eagles are talking about. I mean, you moved from 6 to 12. If you don't think Jalen Hurts is your starting quarterback, you would have stayed at 6. You would have drafted one there. Why? No. Ah, the Eagles are out of the picture. They're not, you know, for quarterback, Jalen Hurts is your quarterback. He is your starter. I don't know what they're doing saying it's an open competition. You might as well say it now and come out that he's going to be your starting quarterback going into this season. That's the best offense you're going to produce with him on the field as your starting quarterback. Um, but again, the Eagles, it's the draft. Don't roll it out. If, you know, potentially Mac Jones or Justin Fields falls down to 12, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, it's the Philadelphia Eagles, and it's Howie we're talking about here. I'm not ruling anything out with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, but just the expectations with the Philadelphia Eagles that I have right now is that they're going to go cornerback first or wide receiver second. Wide receiver, if one happens to be available, one of the big three, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, or Devonta Smith, if one of them magically falls down to 12, you take them. Uh, but again, I don't see you going with the next crop of wide receivers at 12. So that's why I say corner number one is your first expectation. Um, so a J.C. Horn um, or even a Patrick Sertain, if he isn't drafted prior to that, which I expect he will be. And the other rumblings with the Philadelphia Eagles that's now coming out is that they could, you know, looking at the board. So sitting at nine, the Denver Broncos. Sitting at 10, the Dallas Cowboys. 11, New York Giants and 12 Philadelphia Eagles. So two divisional opponents picking right above them, but at number nine is the Denver Broncos. If three quarterbacks, the top three, um, you know, outside the top two lock picks, of course, so Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones, two of them are gone, and the Denver Broncos don't like the third guy at number nine, I could easily see the Broncos trading back, and the Eagles could be an interesting team. Could the Eagles come up to nine in order to leapfrog the leapfrog, excuse me, leapfrog the Dallas Cowboys to land the corner, to land the one that they believe is their guy. And for the Eagles, last year, they had their pick of Justin Jefferson and Jalen Rager, and they took Jalen Rager. So I don't know if I want Howie to go up to nine and have his pick of who he wants his guy to be. The best thing to do is let someone else pick that pick for you and have you know the next guy fall into your lap and take him. Uh, but the Eagles very well, in my opinion, could trade up above a divisional foe. Um, the Dallas Cowboys also um, now with them, they came out and said they're openly happy with either Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn at cornerback. So if your rival team is also looking at the same position, there's two guys who are really front runners at that position and as prospects this year, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan at, out of Alabama. Why not leapfrog your divisional foe and take the guy that you think is your guy. But again, it's Howie. I don't want him to make that pick. Let's make that clear. Uh, but something I would do if I was the Philadelphia Eagles would be jump fro uh, leapfrogging, jumping over the Dallas Cowboys at nine and taking the cornerback you feel like is the best fit for your team in order to completely eliminate the chance um, that the Philadelphia Eagles, or excuse me, the Dallas Cowboys do it. Um, so, of course, for the Dallas Cowboys right now, the expected thing is that they go cornerback, um, especially defense. Um, they have to address their secondary. So at 10, 
they're going to take either Horn or Sertain, one of those two guys, whichever one is available uh, to them. And, you know, the rumblings for the Dallas Cowboys is the fact that they like uh, Kyle Pitts at tight end, you know, the unicorn perennial um, best prospect we've seen as a tight end. The Dallas Cowboys like him, but it's not looking like they're going to trade up for him. And no shot, no way does he fall to him at number 10. Um, so with that looking going forward, Dallas Cowboys stay at 10. I think they're going to take one of the cornerbacks there, J.C. Horner, Patrick Sertan. And then next up is the New York Giants. They're sitting at 11 between the Eagles and the Cowboys. And the Giants, I think, is the most intriguing team at the entire NFC beast in the draft this year because they got four needs, uh, four options, and four options that all could be available potentially to them depending on how your board shakes up and how the board shakes up on Thursday. They can add another wide receiver to their offense. They can add, a, add another offensive lineman, and they can also add a defensive end or also even add a cornerback. All, again, could be there for the New York Giants. And wide receiver, I'm looking, you know, Jalen Waddle, perfect. If he falls to him, but even not Devonta Smith, if he falls to the New York Giants, offensive lineman, does Rashawn Slater potentially fall to him at number 11? Um, you know, do they reach up and take uh, Christian Darisaw at offensive tackle as well? A lot of picks here. And, of course, defensive end, another big one. Jalen Phillips is there. No question, easy pick at 10 if he's there. Uh, or actually, he will be there. Not an easy pick, but he will be there at 10. Actually, 11. Uh, Jalen Phillips could be there at 11. Gregory Russo, the league's not high on him, but he's going to be there at 11. And Quiddy Pay is a strong, strong lock, or excuse me, link, not a lock, a link to the New York Giants right now is Quiddy Pay, defensive end. Um, so a lot of options for the New York Giants. And something I want to bring up, and another tweet we'll bring up here, at my sports update, NFL update, says that the Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman, who has never, ever, traded down in any round in any of his eight years as a general manager, told reporters earlier in the week that he's discussed trading down in the draft in the past. He's had opportunities to do so, but ultimately it didn't work out. And in quotes, I'm not going to get fleeced. It's almost like an urban myth. I've tried. Yeah, shut up, Dave Gettleman. You, no, if you tried, you would have done it. Uh, you're not a trade down guy. Don't even stop with the smoke. You've never in your eight years been a trade-down guy, and he's bringing it up here again to make people think they're interested in coming up um, to 11. It's not going to happen. Uh, the New York Giants are staying at 11. Dave Gettleman is, don't buy it. Uh, don't buy that you know crap at all. When you look at draft and draft talk, coach talk, GM talk, anything, during draft season, there's the smoke and there's the tea leaves. You read the tea leaves, Ignore the smoke. This was flat out smoke. Dave Gettleman has never been interested in trading down. Has never, you know, thought about getting fleeced for trading down. No, no, not at all. The Giants will not be trading down. That smoke screen at its finest. The Giants will stay at eleven, and in my opinion, will take uh, one of the one of the defensive ends. I think the wide receivers will be gone. The corners will be gone, and potentially. Uh, the offensive linemen all will be gone as well by then, except for Christian Darisaw. But at 11, I think that's too high 
uh, for the offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech to go. So I'm I'm leaning towards defensive end. Yes, they brought back Leonard Williams. Calm down. Uh, yes, they brought back Leonard Williams. But at the same time, I could see them improving their pass rush even more on defense for the New York football Giants. And lastly, and last but not least, in the NFC East is the Washington football team. And I said the Giants were the most intriguing NFC East team in the draft on Thursday. Washington football team has to be the most confusing because I flat out have no idea what they even value. I have no idea what they're even going to go for. I mean, they had a great offseason bringing in Will Jackson, bringing in Curtis Samuel, bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, bringing back Brandon Sharif as well on the offensive line. Washington football team made a lot of key pieces for a team that was a playoff team last year and brought in a lot of great talent um, in the offseason, in free agency. I have no idea what they're going to do in the draft. Sitting at number 19 in the first round, the 19th overall pick, I don't know what they're going to do, uh, to be quite frank with you. Uh, Washington football team, they can make a run at Mac Jones if he starts sliding and you know add their long-term quarterback that will sit this year behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. That could happen. The Washington football team can go wide receiver and get a guy like Kadarius Toney or even uh, Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I think Bateman would be the better fit. Uh, being a big body wide receiver, they added their slot guy already um, with Adam Humphreys and also Curtis Samuel. So I don't think they will go Kadarius Toney, but Rashad Bateman, maybe, to the Washington football team. Pair him up with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel in that offense. They can go defense. Defensively, obviously they're going to have to go linebacker, uh, but three linebackers could be there for them as well. Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa. Jeremiah Wuzukoromoa could be there out of Notre Dame. Nick Bolton out of Missouri. All three could even be there at 19. Or do they build their offensive line? Do they go with a guy on the inside like Elijah Vera Tucker out of uh, USC to protect Ryan Fitzmagic in the in the interior of their offensive line? Because I feel like that's a big hole that Washington has still on their roster is the interior of their offensive line. And, you know, they... You know, reportedly they were in on the Orlando uh, Orlando Brown trade we talked about earlier. Didn't want to give up multiple t- uh, multiple picks, including the 19th overall pick. Rightfully so, in my opinion, stay at 19. Great value uh, with their pick in the first round. So that they missed out, or excuse me, just walked away from the first pick, or excuse me, that trade pick um, with Orlando Brown coming over. But their offensive line needs some work on the interior. Elijah Vera Tucker. Obviously, it would be a huge come-in, plug-and-play guy um, at guard for that offense. And a guy who's versatile, he's played multiple positions, he's great at both of them, great, great run blocker in the run game, which would be huge for Antonio Gibson to work in that offense. I don't know what they go with. I do not know what the Washington football team will do in the first round. Quarterback, wide receiver, linebacker, offensive line, they're all cards are on the table for the Washington football team. And yes, that's intriguing, but to me, that's, that's confusing. Uh, Cause this weekend I'll be having my final mock draft of the season come out. My saw 3.0 mock draft, the final one again, I'm doing before Thursday's draft. And that's where I'm locking in my picks. I don't know what I'm going with. I don't know how I will see this go down. Um, ultimately, with the Washington football team sitting at the 19th overall pick. It's all things that, are be going, uh, all things that will, of course, be interesting 
and exciting to watch once we get uh, closer to Thursday. But that's all we have uh, for this week's episode of the Saw Sports Show. I just want to really hit on the NFC East as a whole, hit on uh, the big Orlando Brown trade that was blockbuster, in my opinion, that came out today. Did not see that coming out of all at all. Uh, was prepping for the show, actually, and that came out, and I was like, all right, that's what we're doing today. Uh, but again, a lot of pressers this week, a lot of GM talk, a lot of smoke on one side, tea leaves on the other side. What do you listen to? What do you don't? Confusing stuff. That's what I love about draft season. Uh, it's my favorite week of the entire year coming up this week, and I'm excited for it. But again, I gave you a little hint of what's to come this weekend. Saw's final mock draft coming out, um, I would say probably on Sunday, will come out on the site, knoble 87 dot uh, site.com slash Saul's uh, sports report I believe it is the links in the Twitter bio at Saul's sports show so you can expect to see that come out this weekend on Thursday live four hours the entire first round will have you covered me Matt Laguza and our commissioner Gray Oss will have you covered for that one and the content will just keep rolling out from there so for this week on the Saul's sports show that's all we have uh, for this week's episode. Again, UFC 261 tomorrow night. Huge fights. Three pick'em of the week that we have for Stahl's main card pick'em of the weeks. Six and four record. Uh, look at it. Shevchenko by knockout or decision. Uh, we also have uh, Wiley Zong. Also uh, going in, we're going to take her by decision. And the main card men's welterweight title fight, Kamaru Usman. By an early knockout is our three picks for Slaw's main card pick of the weeks for UFC 261. But that's all the time we have this week on the Saw Sports Show. Thank you all for joining me. Check us out on Twitter, of course, at the Saw Sports Show. All the content will be posted there as well. For those of you who missed the podcast, missed or excuse me, missed the episode today, missed you know the beginning part of when we talked about the pick of the weeks, or missed anything, it will all be posted tomorrow at Slaw Sports Show. Anywhere, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get a podcast, it'll be up tomorrow. So you can go back and check it out in case you missed it. That's all the time we have again. Thank you for those who joined on YouTube and checked in live during the live show. And thank you also to people who joined in in the car, on the radio at WSOE 89.3 as well. I appreciate all the support. One of my favorite weeks of the entire year coming up this week. I'm excited. Hope you guys are as well. But again, thank you. That's all we have. We're going to be signing off. So until next time, peace.